You know, what I appreciate most about our worship team, it's so much more than just a selection of songs they think they can sing well or whatever. There's a lot of content uh, and intentional content in the worship. And uh, also, it's great to have Johnny back playing guitar with us. And, you know, for a guy of his advanced age to play as well as he does, it's just, <clears throat> it's tremendous. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> we're, we're so direct. We just love truth so much here, apparently. <clears throat> so uh, Thursday morning, I wake up at my usual time, which is really early. And I wake up and I pick up my phone. Bling, 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 bling. There's like 20 text messages. 20 different people had sent me this story about this man in Cape Cod a lobster diver who was diving for lobsters, and apparently a whale came and swallowed him, and he survived for two hours, and the whale spit him up, and he came out, and he lived to tell about the story. I did not pay this man to say this, <laughs> but the timing is ironic, isn't it? Because I was having conversations. Is it even possible for a whale to swallow a man? There's actually been a few documented historical uh, stories about this. One was in about 1936, I think, <clears throat> and it was picked up by all the major newspapers in the world. Our man survived uh, four, 36 hours in the belly of a whale. So uh, it just, I just found it interesting that that had happened, and it was kind of cool, right? So, But we're continuing our series on Jonah. This is week two, and I've called this sermon Hiding from God. So in a way of introduction, I'm going to start by reading a verse from Jeremiah and get your thoughts on how it sounds to you. There we go. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 to 24. I'm just going to read it. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the earth, declares the Lord? These are a list of rhetorical questions. They're not meant to be answered, but God says, Aren't I a God that's everywhere, right next to you, even if you don't want me to be? Don't I fill the entire earth? So when you hear those words, how do they strike you? Ominous? Perhaps a little intimidating, if they're true, that God is everywhere and you can't hide from him. Maybe it's a little bit frightening. <clears throat> Perhaps, if we're honest, it's a bit overwhelming. And maybe, if you really understand the concept of God being everywhere. Maybe it's a little frustrating that you can never hide your sin from our God. I mean, like, like none of them. <laughs> Even the ones we do in the darkness of our most intimate, secret, private places on earth, he's there. Even the dark, sinful thoughts in the back of our mind, that if we ever uttered the words that we're thinking, it would devastate our reputation and our relationships. Those aren't even hidden. But you know, even with that, we get comfortable hiding from God. And we do that by manipulating ourselves. It's almost, it, even though we know we can't hide from God, it's almost a sociopathic spiritual condition we all have, isn't it? Do you remember the last time that you got caught by someone with something that you didn't want anyone else to know? 
Something you had successfully kept from everyone for a time. Maybe something from the past that you had even forgotten about. <clears throat> you had hit it so well, you were hiding it from yourself. Maybe it was some sort of habitual failure. Some sort of sinful habit you had been hiding. Fearing that if it ever became public that this was a sinful habit you struggled with, the consequences of this going public would be absolutely embarrassing and devastating. <clears throat> Maybe it was something you were supposed to do. But you determined that obedience to that would be too costly to your comfort in life. Oh, I mean... You and I, we have the philosophical understanding that nothing is hidden from God, right? We say it, we know it, omnipresence, blah, blah, blah. But you live like God has never saw it or seen it or anything. You might even have gone so far as to make a private deal with God, maybe. God, just pretend you never saw this. Pretend this never happened, and I promise I won't do it again. And then after a while, it gets so far out of mind, you've gotten over the initial shame or the guilt, and it seems like you've gotten away with it. Which brings us to our passage in Jonah today. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. So he's on the boat now, by the way. He's escaped. God said, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said, no, I hate the Ninevites. So Jonah's a racist. Not kidding. No, he is. He thinks... I'm not preaching to these types of people. I'm Jewish. I don't need to. He's, he's literally a bigot. So he's on the boat with the sailors, and it says in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's look at the history of this passage. What about, God, what about man? What does he do? And why and how does he do it? Where's Jonah? He is, in fact, the hiding prophet. When Jonah boarded the ship, he wasn't just like out on the deck waiting for someone to serve him a little drink with an umbrella in it. He went down to the inner part, the most secluded, safest part of the ship, the lower middle deck. See, if you wanted smooth sailing... If you want comfort, if you want seclusion, if you want to stay hidden, well, that's where you'd go in a ship, the lower middle deck. <clears throat> it's quiet. It's isolated. It's dark. You can hear very little noise from the crew in the deck. And if the seas do get rough, you will feel it the least there of anywhere else on the boat. <clears throat> this is precisely what Jonah wants. He wants a place to hide. He wants a place to isolate. He wants to sulk. He's hiding from God's calling to the race of people he hates in Nineveh. As I've said before, it's modern-day Mosul, Iraq. 
He just wants a place to rest, to be alone, to do what he wants to do with his life. He still believes in God, but he wants it his way. And Jonah feels safe. He feels hidden. He feels secure. He falls asleep quickly, probably before the boat even leaves harbor, <clears throat> before the journey even really starts. He's breathing. <sighs> Got away with that one. And then there's this mysterious storm. Suddenly, out of nowhere, hurricane force winds arise. This isn't some little squall or some Sarasota afternoon thunderstorm. It's worse than any storm <clears throat> these experienced seasoned sailors have ever experienced. Something very unusual is happening in the weather pattern, and they recognize it. This is a shipping route they've probably sailed 100 times. They know the normal weather patterns like we do here in Florida right in the summertime, about 4 o'clock. Thunderstorms, we know. Plan your day around it. This storm was big enough that there would have been plenty of visible signs before they left. They would have never gone out and left harbor with a storm this big approaching. They would have seen it. Guys, today's not the day. And we know it came quickly because later on, we'll read about next week, in verse 13, it says they just wanted to try to get back to shore. They were battling the storm. They weren't too far from the shore when this happens. They're far enough that the boat sinks, they're dead but they can still see the shore. Any seasoned first century mariner could easily spot signs of a storm this massive coming. This is a big clue to the sailors that something unusual is happening. This is supernatural. They were looking for an explanation. How did this happen? We didn't miss this. Where did this come from? This is not normal. Which brings me to the next point in my historical section, that is, the gods are angry, little g. This storm is so unusual, their rational conclusion is this. This isn't natural. This is an act of someone on board being judged. <clears throat> this is a conclusion many might take when any inexplicable disaster hits, right? What did we do to deserve this? And afraid of death, they begin to, these mariners, Turn to prayer, each to their own God, crying out to non, get this, non-existent higher powers, and nothing works. They turn to their own concept of spirituality that they're comfortable with, each crying out, nothing seems to obey the storm. So hoping to lighten the ship, and survive, they begin to take things in their own hands, they go below deck, and they jettison the precious cargo they've been paid to transfer, and there they find Jonah, sleeping through the terror. And the sailors, they are stunned, they're dumbfounded that Jonah cannot comprehend the spiritual crisis of this storm they all are facing. The irony here is that these pagan sailors are more in touch with what's going on spiritually than the hiding, sleeping prophet Jonah is. And they say, what are you doing, O sleeper? How can you sleep at a time like this? We're in danger. Why aren't you praying to your God? We're desperate. 
Whoever your God is, Jonah, please ask him to save us. We know this storm is not natural. None of our gods are listening. Let's look at the spiritual part of this story. What does God do and why and how does he do it? <clears throat> I've entitled this section Hurricane Grace. So there's a couple things here. First of all, I want to clarify what it is that I think Jonah deserved. Look, I already said earlier, Jonah is a horrible prophet. You can't get any worse. He's selfish, he's bitter, he's depressed, and he's playing the victim very well. I said earlier, he's also a racist bigot. A prophet who hates Assyrians and the people of Nineveh more than he loves being obedient to God. He's about as far as a prophet from the image of Jesus as a prophet can get. And he's in the depths of the boat hiding from his God. Jonah might have thought in his mind that somehow he was better than the Ninevites because he's Jewish, better than the sailors who are pagans. But God's actions prove he is not any better. And it's easy to look at the storm as people looking back on this story. Oh, well, God certainly had to be angry with Jonah, right? How dare you run from me? I mean, that seems rational. God had given Jonah this amazing privilege to go to Nineveh and preach, and Jonah doesn't even want it. <clears throat> God had guaranteed a preacher success. Go to Nineveh, start a church, and you're going to pack them in. Nah, I don't want it. Heck, I'd go. Personally, that'd be fun. God should just move on from Jonah, right? Just move on. Judge him with the storm, kill him, get him over with. So this storm seems like the right move. God is punishing Jonah, right, for his disobedience. Hide from me. Your God, that's okay, I'll teach you. Jonah certainly deserves God's wrath. God's wrath, doesn't he? Actually, no. He does not. So what does God do? Let me read this verse from you from Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. <clears throat> See, the wrath of God brings death. You understand that? Punishment and wrath brings death, not restoration. So in that respect, what we know from the story of Jonah is the storm isn't judgment. The storm isn't wrath. The storm is actually grace. The storm was not wrath. That's not what's happening here. The storm is the opposite of wrath. Wrath is what Jesus took for us on the cross. That's wrath. That's judgment. And wrath and judgment is not, and understand this, if you're a child of God, wrath and judgment is not how God deals with his children when they're disobedient. God never had any intention of judging Jonah or killing him. He also had never had any intention of letting Jonah run from obedience, <clears throat> no matter how hard Jonah tried to hide. God was intent on doing whatever he needed to do to wake his prophet up and flush him out of hiding. Why? This is beautiful. Get this. Because God intends to restore Jonah despite his callous, 
unwillingness to be obedient. Now, why did God do this? See, in addition, God is also ensuring that Jonah keeps the privilege of being his messenger to Nineveh, even though Jonah wants nothing to do with it. It's amazing. God is going to give grace to Jonah no matter what. Why? Why? Because God also loved Nineveh. You guys, I've preached this before and I've explained to you it's a portion of my favorite passage in Scripture in Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and 10. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for before him that we should walk in them. The Greek language, we could translate it. He prepared good, good works beforehand that we trip over. Like we can't avoid them. You can run if you want. Nope, you're going to do this good work. See, God was never going to let Jonah get away with wearing the ugly shoes that we talked about last week. Jonah, those look terrible on you. You don't even realize it. He was not going to let him wear those ugly shoes for too long. God was going to ensure and make sure Jonah had beautiful feet. Even though Jonah desperately wants those ugly shoes. And why is this? Because God intends to save the people of Nineveh. He has called them to salvation before the foundation of the world. And he will spare no expense to display his mercy to them. Not only that, get this, we will learn next week that the pagan sailors were also apparently God's call to salvation. They become believers the sailors are actually a foreshadowing of what is going to happen with Nineveh. They turn to Jehovah as well. You know, how frustrating must it be to be Satan in this story? He thinks God is going to judge Jonah, one of his children. He thinks God is going to go along with it and kill the sailors too while he's at it. Satan thinks he's getting like a threefer. I get Jonah, I get the sailors, and I get the people in Nineveh. All those people that God had chosen for salvation, they're all going to die. And if that happens, I can always beat God. So this story right here, this battle between Jonah and Nineveh and the sailors, it's much more than just a cool fish story. It is an example of a time where Satan had a chance to destroy the plan of salvation, and it would have impacted all of us. Clearly, it's not about Jonah's choice, correct? It's not about Jonah's free will here. God says, no, I have a decree, and I'm going to fulfill it. In the end, Satan's plan will be a colossal failure because God's grace, get this, God's grace can never be impeded, ever. Okay, personal section. What about you and me? What are we supposed to do, and why, and how do we do it? I want to talk about the fact that we are hiding from obedience, but in the fact, in reality, we cannot hide. Here was the Sunday sermon preview this week on social media. If you're hiding from what God has commanded you to do, don't get too comfortable because he's coming for you. So I want to talk about where you hide. <clears throat> See, Jonah convinced himself somehow the best place to hide was in the belly of a ship on a voyage he never really even needed to take. A long one, by the way, 2,500 miles away. He found a hiding place that was comfortable, 
quiet, cut off from the world so he could just get some rest. I mean, think about it. If we are going to hide from God, we will normally pick a place that we can feel the most comfortable. Probably not a storm. Probably not prison. We're going to pick a place that we still have some sort of control over. That's the whole point, isn't it? A place we can control, a place where maybe even we can still feel a certain degree of personal righteousness. A shelter conducive to what we talked about last week, our propensity to hoard grace, to fulfill our desire to be selectively obedient to what God has called us to, picking those things that are the easiest, the most convenient, not the things that might cost us. And there are, frankly, many such places that you, I, we hide. We hide from God in our work. We hide from God in our families. We even hide from God in our leisure. We even hide from God in our ministries. Tell me how we, let me talk about how we hide from God in our work, our careers. You ready? Yeah, I'm just really too busy to serve at the church right now, but one day when I've earned enough money or have enough success or built up enough vacation time, then I'll have more time for God. You're hiding. You know where else we hide? And this is a little more tricky. We actually hide in our families. Using, making family time a priority as an excuse to avoid serving God and others. Now, this one's tricky, like I said, because our family should be a priority, right? <clears throat> but many turn family into a self-righteous hiding place. Oh, uh, yeah, but I'm with my family. Well, so was Jonah, but he was still disobedient. So I understand how it's tricky, but you can see how we use it. You know what else became a really good hiding place the last 18 months? COVID-19. And frankly, for many, even though there's a vaccine and, you know, things are open, it's still a great place to hide from what God has called you to do, isn't it? Oh, well, COVID, I'm still afraid. I understand being afraid of it. It's a real thing. But as children of God, at some point, there has to be a level of, yes, but obedience is more important. I know I personally fell into that sometimes in the last 18 months. It was a really convenient excuse. But you know what the best hiding place of all is from obedience to God's call? Is deep in the ship of the American church. In ministry. The American church has become this multi-billion dollar industry with lots of hiding places for Christians trying to run from God's call, where everything is bleached from the sinfulness of the outside world. We're comfortable. We're hidden. We feel safe. We're enjoying the sermons. We're enjoying the programs. We're enjoying the worship, when in fact we are in the belly of the American church, fast asleep. We cocoon ourselves, right, so that we aren't disturbed by the stormy world outside just as Jonah was in the belly of that ship. It's a sinful, self-manipulative rationalization, allowing us to use the institution of the church so that we can feel righteous while running from God's call. And we live cloaked in a fake 
American church righteousness. So we feel good, but we are hiding from God all the same. Hiding from his call to serve a hurting, stormy world outside. So that's where you hide. What about why? This is fun, isn't it? <laughs> what was Jonah doing in a boat anyway? I mean, what was he thinking? What's his plan? It's simple. He didn't want to be fully obedient. He was hoarding grace from a race of people he hated more than he loved being near God. And when you hoard grace, when you are disobedient, you won't be able to be close to God. You're going to have to isolate from him to be comfortable. So by nature, you will find ways to hide from God and isolate from his presence, just as Jonah did. Here's an example. As a church, we just spent 80 weeks studying the gospel of Mark. Certainly, there were things God showed you that you know that you need to address. Yet, perhaps, it's been a couple weeks now, much of it has gone unattended. And now, all of a sudden, you're comfortable again, aren't you? You found a comfortable place to hide. Perhaps you thought, finally, we're done with Mark. Now we can move on to a fun series in Jonah. It's really cool. We can hide in this cool Old Testament story after some really hard stuff that Jesus was saying. Jonah, that's a fun story for like when we were kids, right? But some of us are hiding from what God has commanded. His commands about purity, commands about service, his commands about sacrifice, and even the Great Commission. But don't worry. God will find you. But it's not all bad. Actually, it's a good thing. It's a comforting thing. Look at this verse. There we go. Ephesians 5.14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. Doesn't that sound familiar to our passage this morning? What did the sailors say to Jonah? Awake, sleeper. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. <clears throat> See, even the steerage section of a cargo ship in the middle of the ocean wasn't out of God's reach in his pursuit of Jonah. This truth right here about God will find you is all throughout Scripture, but rarely, if ever, is God saying he'll find you about judgment or anger. You know what it is? This is a part of God's sovereign grace. When we are children of God, he will come after us, whether you want him to or not. He will find you. He, God, will do whatever he needs to do to come get you out of the belly of the ship, even if it's the American church. See, have comfort in that. Because when a child of God is hiding, God is going to do whatever it takes to get us out of hiding. <clears throat> That's not wrath. That's not judgment. That's not God being mean or angry. That's God being the loving father. That's grace. 
It's what makes him the good shepherd. You know where he said, I will relentlessly go after one. I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. Even if it means I have to bring a storm with me. You remember how I started this sermon this morning by reading a verse from Jeremiah that sounded intimidating and maybe frustrating or discouraging, right? Because you knew it's hopeless. Now in light of what we've just learned, let's reread it again. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? Sounds a little better now, doesn't it? See, the story of Jonah, it teaches us these words of God are a comforting truth not a scary threat. We can't hide from God. Well, that's good. Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. That's pretty good too, right? Although many of you today either here or at home, watching on Facebook or YouTube or wherever. Many of you are hiding today. Don't worry. He's coming after you. Oh, and he'll find you. He's going to do whatever it takes. Because even if you don't love him, he loves you. I, as a pastor, am so thankful that God's children cannot hide anywhere on the earth from God's grace. Anywhere. Aren't you? Father, sometimes <clears throat> these storms in life come up. We know they're unusual. We know there's something supernatural happening. At first, it might be scary. At first, it might be frightening. Maybe we're being judged. Maybe it's punishment. But if we are your children, if we've been called out of darkness into light, if we understand the gospel, the work of Christ on the cross, his death and the resurrection, if we understand that, help us, Lord, to not only understand that, but begin to see that when you come after us, it's not anger or resentment or wrath. It's mercy. It's love. It's grace. It's you saying, yeah, I know you want to hide from me, but that's not what you really want. I'm coming after you. I'll do whatever it takes. Lord, we're so comforted by that. But now there's the other side. God, please help us to be able to see past the belly of the ship. Help us see that there's a calling you've given us. And it's not just to being good. It's a calling to ministry. It's a calling to loving others. It's a calling to serving those who aren't anything like us. We have this tendency to want to be around the people that are like us. We see it in the American church all the time. Churches that are groups of people that not only maybe are the same race, but the same age. 
the same part of life we're hiding deep in the belly of the ship Lord wake us up send a storm we're not afraid of it anymore we know it's a hurricane of grace a hurricane of mercy hurricane of love and forgiveness that will restore us and we're so thankful that you prepared these good works before the foundation of the world and have thrown them in our lives and we are going to trip over them we are going to do them because that's how much you want us to be a part of your process So with that in mind, today, even while some of us are hiding, we can say this, we're not afraid of the fact that you're going to find us no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. No more hiding. Time to get out of the belly of the church. We love you. If you need anything this week, let us know. We've got your back. Have a great week. Go, Christian, because God is looking for you.